Good morning. Welcome, church. You can stand if you're able, if you would like to, for our time of worship together. I'm going to open us in prayer. It is an eventful morning. Some of you are probably confused because some of you commented and know that I'm preaching this morning. Pastor Bo and Nicole are at a retreat, and we love and miss them. Hope they're having a great time. But um, Denise, who was going to lead worship this morning, had an emergency and had to go to the hospital with Tarek last night. They are home now, and they are resting. So I am here with you all day. So you get bonus Nikki. Woo. Okay, I hope you're excited. <laughs> I sure am, and I'm already sweaty, so I apologize for that. Just ignore it. It's all good. Um, so we just welcome the presence of the Lord this morning. God, we are grateful to be here in your house today. This is all for you. So we just invite you, God, to fill this place, to inhabit our worship. Lord, we are humbled in your presence, and we just desire you this morning, that you would be here with us. If we come and we sing and we pray and we hear, but we don't experience your presence, it was all for nothing. So we ask that you would be here with us, Lord, your presence, your grace, your mercy, your love this morning, God. Meeting each and every one of us where we are. You know our hearts. You know what we need, Lord. And we come willingly just to worship you and to receive from you, God. We know that you have something for us today. So we are grateful and we are open. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Praise. 
Some of you might not have heard this song. We've done it one time before, but it is the perfect companion to my sermon, so I hope that if you don't know the words, you'll just soak it all in and just, just meditate on what we're talking about this morning. But if you do know the words, please feel free to join in. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go. I don't need to worry now that I know everything I need you've got. There's honey in the rock. Praying for a miracle, thirsty for the living well. Only you can satisfy sweetness at the mercy seat. Now I've tasted, it's not hard to see. Only you can satisfy this honey in the rock, this honey in the rock, this honey in the rock. Sweet. 
trust in you, Jesus. Oh, how sweet, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Daddy, thank you so much for meeting us where we're at. We've all come here with different things on our hearts, different things on our minds. Thank you that you see each and every one of us where we are, what we're going through, what we're wrestling with. I ask that you would be with the hands, that you'd be with Denise and Eric and Tarek, that you would comfort them and that you would provide your healing touch, that you would help Tarek to know that he is loved and that you are there with him and that he's not alone. And I ask, Lord, that there's many other things like that uh, that we all are going through, that we all have, uh, things that we've shared with others, things that we kept him, but you know, you know the things that we are wrestling with, you know the things that we are going through, and I ask that you would make yourself known to each and every one who is here today, and whether they're here in person, whether they're watching through the live stream, that they would know that you care about them, that you are with them, and that you love them. Your word says that we make our own plans, but you determine the outcome. And sometimes we we try to make our own plans and we think things will go a certain way. But that's not always how it works out. And I ask that we would learn to trust you more, to be able to put our hope and our trust in you. And as the things that we are going through in life, that you are there with us. And Lord, I want to pray for Pastor Nicole and Pastor Bo. I ask that this would be a wonderful weekend for them. That this would be a time where they can get away and they can hear from you. That you can speak to them and they can have a wonderful time of fellowship. Thank you so much for giving us wonderful pastors who take such good care of us and do such a wonderful job of shepherding us and caring for each of us. And I ask that you surround them and help them to get the care they need as well. And I ask for today, Lord, that whether it's through a sermon or whether it's through a prayer of a friend, whether it's through the songs, that you would speak to each and every one of us. That you would... There's something that I believe you want to say to each and every one of us today that you would just be welcome here. We want this to be a place where you feel comfortable. We want this to be a place where you really feel at home. And so, Lord, as we transition to the sermon, I just want to welcome you. Say you are welcome in this place. We love you. We look forward to what you have for us.
Amen. I'm back. Hi. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you. Gabe, I'm going to pass these off. Changing my hats, my worship hat, to my preaching hat. This is my preaching coat. All right. Here we are this morning. It is good to be here. I hope Bo and Nicole are having a wonderful time resting at the retreat. Gabe and I had a really great time last weekend at the lay retreat. So for any of you who were not there, which is most of you, pencil that in next year if you're interested, because it was a really great time to just get away, to relax. We met some wonderful people in our district, um, but it was really a great time. It was a beautiful location. So I hope to see many of you there next year. Um, When Pastor Nicole approached me a few months ago about preaching, I almost immediately knew that I wanted to talk about prayer. It's significant for me personally because it's something that God has been really speaking in my heart uh, for a while, about a year now. And I think it's timely for our community. It's uh, something that we've been learning and really implementing a new rhythm um, with our monthly prayer meetings. You know, the first Wednesday of the month, usually. last This month it was a Tuesday, but in October it'll be Wednesday again, and I hope to see you guys there as we gather just corporately to pray. Um, But it's not lost on me that prayer is sometimes hard. And I think that many of us can acknowledge that at least one time or another, um, we sat down to pray or tried to pray, and we just didn't have words or didn't know what to say. Or if you're like me, you get distracted and lose your train of thought. So um, what better way to learn how to pray than from our Lord? Amen. So uh, it wasn't long after I settled on prayer that I landed on this passage um, known as the Lord's Prayer, right? In Matthew chapter 6, it falls right in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, so let's just dive right in. If you would, stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. This is Jesus speaking, starting in verse 9. It says, Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. So N.T. Wright says that praying the Lord's Prayer is a bit like a kid putting on his big brother's clothes. So you guys might have been weirded out about my jacket here. This is not mine. This is actually Gabriel's. And it's actually not that big on me, but to illustrate a point, I put it on for you to illustrate this concept. I love this picture because he says that at first, I don't know what's happening. Okay. Um, He says that at first, we put on our big brother, Jesus' jacket, his clothes, and we're imitating him. It's like a little kid kind of just putting on his big brother's clothes, pretending to be the big brother. And at first, it's a little bit ill-fitting, right? We don't quite fill it out. Maybe it's a little awkward, a little uncomfortable. But as we grow and continue to imitate our big brother and put on his clothes, 
eventually we grow into the place where we start to fill it out. And it starts to be more comfortable. And that's the goal, right? I'm going to take this off because it's really hot up here. But now you know that's why I had this jacket. It's important. But I love that picture. So, learning to pray, that's the title of my message. And I really want to acknowledge that even a really familiar passage like this, it's super short, just a few verses, as I started to study it, I couldn't believe the depth and the richness and the layers and just so much there. Like, I could preach a series on this one passage for months. So I just want you to know that today we're really just going to be scratching the surface. And that is probably always the case when we're pre preaching a message, right? A 30-minute, even a 45-minute message is not going to really encapsulate the living, breathing Word of God. So my hope today is just that maybe I can whet your appetite a little bit, spark um, some inspiration, and, and maybe you guys will continue to study and read and pray the Lord's Prayer because there is so much goodness there. So I have some slides for us to help, maybe. I didn't actually test this ahead of time, sorry. Okay, so I've broken it down into seven elements. These are the different phrases in the prayer. And I wanted to just kind of give you this bird's eye view. We're going to walk through these one by one. But really, what's interesting about the Lord's Prayer, and scholars will note that it is kind of a summary of the values of the kingdom of God, which is beautiful and amazing. Um, but it also works well, um, I would say, as kind of like a framework. You might notice that when we were reading the passage, Jesus says, pray then in this way. He didn't say, pray these words exactly. So while reciting the Lord's Prayer is beautiful and wonderful, and I think we should do that, if that's the only way that you're using this prayer, we're really missing out. Because Jesus used this prayer as a model prayer, as a framework to teach us how to pray. So it's, there's so much value here. It works wonderfully as a framework. Like I said, it's also like a roadmap. So some of the things that I mentioned earlier... It's kind of a jumping off point if you don't know what to say or where to start when you're praying. But it also works as a roadmap in the sense that if you get distracted or lose your train of thought, like we often do, it's easy to get back on track when you're following this roadmap. You can just kind of remember where you left off. Oh, where was I? You know, daily bread, right. So now we're talking about forgiveness. And what's beautiful about the Lord's Prayer, it's almost like Jesus was really smart. Okay, because it is actually written in poetic language, which you may or may not have observed, but there's a lot of metaphor in here. But it's beautifully done so that it's really succinct, it really packs a punch, and it's easy to memorize. How many of us in this room already have this prayer memorized? Probably most of us. It's super easy to memorize. It's, we probably learned it when we were little kids. I, I learned it in the, New, in the King James Version with thy, you know, thy kingdom, right? Most of you, probably. So, but because of that, even when it's translated into another language, think about that. We've translated this, it's maybe been translated a few times, if Jesus originally said it in Aramaic, and it's still super easy to memorize, super easy to follow. So it's really beautifully done, and I think that we should admire that because it's really great. Okay. So 
This is totally scientific, 100% accurate graph of everyone's prayer life. Obviously. Okay. Um, this is really anecdotal. Based on my own experience as a person who prays, someone who grew up in the church around prayer, I feel that a lot of times... Uh, the most kind of accessible kind of prayer, and there are different kinds of prayer. Read the book of Psalms and just see how many you can identify because there's a lot. Um, one of the most accessible kinds, the most intuitive kinds, is praying for our needs or even praying for the needs of others. What, one of the things that is a common prompting to pray is when a need comes up. So we pray for that, and that's good, and that's right. I am not throwing shade. I'm praying for your needs. The Bible says to do that. Right here in this exact same chapter, Jesus talks about that. It's important and it's good. God is our provider and we should pray about our needs. But this is kind of just what I think is kind of an accessible kind of prayer for us because we know how to do that. We know how to ask for stuff. Um, I think another thing that's maybe a little bit more accessible is repentance because another prompting, maybe second to needs that might prompt or inspire you to pray, is maybe feeling a little convicted that you need to repent of something. And so we know how to say sorry when we did something wrong. It's a little intuitive. I think we do incorporate worship and thanks in our prayers, but for the most part, I feel like that's probably going to be in the minority in terms of time and content. So I just wanted to give you that as a comparison to Jesus's prayer. And this actually is a little bit more scientific because what I did was I totaled up, ooh, my words kind of bumped off there. Huh. You know what it, you, you get the point. Um, it's there as a visual to give you an idea. I totaled up the number of words in the passage and then the number of words that Jesus kind of allocated to each of these topics. So this chart is actually, it is based on the English, so it's not an exact science, but just to kind of give you an idea of how much time Jesus spent praying on these different things. So the first one is adoration. The second one is surrender. And you'll notice that request doesn't show up until the middle. And that's actually the smallest category. Jesus allocates the least amount of words to that topic. Just, just an interesting observation. And then forgiveness, huge, and contending is how he ends the prayer. Some of these categories we neglect altogether sometimes. And I just think this is interesting to kind of observe. We're going to talk more about that as we walk through the prayer. But I wanted to just kind of give us that visual. Our Father in heaven. So before we dive right in, I just want to ask you a question. What is the purpose of prayer? I think that for some of us, maybe we don't know. Maybe we have ideas. I think that, like I said, sometimes we approach prayer as a way to get our needs met. And that's not bad. That's an aspect of prayer. But I don't think that that's the purpose of prayer, especially if we're using the Lord's Prayer as our framework. Another way that people talk about prayer is that we're talking to God. And again, I think that's a great truth. That's an aspect of prayer. But I don't think that's the purpose of prayer. As I look at the Lord's Prayer, I want to propose to you, what if the purpose of prayer is actually transformation? We think sometimes about prayer as like a thing that we do. It's a job. Maybe it's an obligation. Sometimes it might feel like a chore. But what if prayer is less about what you're doing and more about what you're becoming? What if prayer is less about doing something and it's more about showing up and bringing your awareness to what God is already doing? 
kind of flips some stuff on its head a little bit, and it's really going to change the way that we view this prayer in particular. But I want to propose to you again that as we are praying the Lord's Prayer, we are putting on our big brother's clothes. We are walking in his footsteps. We are practicing his way of praying with the goal of being made into his image, into the image of Christ. Isn't that the goal of everything that we do? Isn't that why we're here? So if you would, humor me and think about prayer as transformational. So our Father in heaven. This is also a part of the prayer, this whole beginning part, really. I think that sometimes we tend to rush past it. We might think it's a little bit of a formality. It's kind of your opening. But really, I think it's super significant. The way that you open the prayer is really important. And so there's a lot here. I think Jesus was really doing something intentional, and we shouldn't rush past that. He says, our Father in heaven. And this is interesting because he acknowledges two kind of almost what seem like contradictory to us aspects of God, the intimate, relatable, relational Father. But he's in heaven. Does anybody know what heaven is like? Just a hint, I don't think it's fat, naked babies with like harps and wings and stuff. I don't, I don't really know where that came from. But I'm pretty sure it didn't come from here because I've never seen that in here. But the truth is, we don't know what heaven is like, really. We can guess, but we can't really imagine it. We can't fathom it because it's a completely different realm. We are like physical, temporal beings. So our Father, who is revealed to us and in relationship with us, but he is also in heaven, a place that we can't even imagine. He is beyond our comprehension. Do you ever think about that? That God is outside of time? He has no beginning and no end. I don't, not to break your brain, but I think this is intentional that Jesus wanted us to acknowledge as we start the prayer who we are praying to. He is our Father, and He is in heaven. And I will say, I think that as Protestants and even as evangelicals, we're a little bit more comfortable with the Father side of God than we are with that other more awesome, awe-inducing side of God. Have you guys ever been to the Basilica in St. Louis? It's this beautiful cathedral. If you haven't, I really recommend you go. Go to the Basilica and pray the Lord's Prayer. Like, just... I think it will just be an amazing experience. Those cathedrals are designed to be massive with these huge domed buildings, primarily with the purpose to make you feel small. You walk into that huge room, and even your breath echoes. So you automatically take a posture, a hushed posture, because the way that it's designed, and they're filled with artwork and stained glass so the light comes in with colors and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's just, you're just in awe of it. And it's all representing just the majesty of God. Imagine like having a service in a building like that. It'd be kind of a different experience. So I think that it's really good for us to lean into that as we're starting the prayer, not to rush past it, but to really meditate on 
who God is, the parts of God that we're really comfortable with, that we feel like we really get, and the parts of God that are maybe a little hard for us. Because scripture tells us that God is both. He is our father. He is revealed and relatable, but he's also way beyond our comprehension. Briefly, I will just add one thing that I thought was really cool that N.T. Wright said is significant too when we call God our Father. It's not just saying something about his identity, but it also says something about our identity, right? If you call God Father, what does that make you? His child, obviously. We know that, two plus two. But what's cool about that is that we're starting the prayer, the very first word of the prayer, because N.T. Wright says in the Greek, the way the grammar is in Greek, the first word of the prayer is Father. And that's significant because that's not how Jewish prayers usually start. And when we start the prayer and we acknowledge that he's Father and we are his children and we really think about that, that is like Gospel 101, right? How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called the sons of God, the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason that we have the right to approach this incomprehensible God and even talk to him and, and, and be present with him and be a witness to his redeeming work is because of the grace and the mercy of God and the price that Jesus paid to make us able to call him father. So when we start this prayer, we're coming in acknowledging who God is and what that says about who we are. This is like really going to change the way that you pray. I am not sure if I'm actually controlling this or if you guys are just taking that as a cue. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Hallowed be your name. This is the funniest part of the prayer because that's a funny word, right? Hallowed. Hallowed. I have no idea what that means. Actually, I do because I studied it. But when I first started studying this prayer, I was like, do people really know what they're talking about when they say this? This is a really weird word. And I won't get on a soapbox about it, but I will just say that this is a perfect example of how tradition actually plays a role in biblical translation. Because this is a famous passage, it's a well-known passage, and it's been traditionally translated this way. So they continue to translate it this way, even though we don't use this word anymore. I'm pretty confident it probably doesn't show up in modern English dictionaries because we don't use it. So we run the risk of not really knowing what we're talking about or not really thinking about what we're saying, even if we do know. So I want to just break this down for you. It's really beautiful. Some of you may be thinking holy. You may have heard holy as kind of a synonym here. It's not really a synonym, but you're not totally off base. They have a shared root. This word has a shared root with the word holy. So multiple scholars, and I did look this up in my Greek interlinear Bible, so this is the way that this could be translated in this way. It means, may your name be recognized as holy. I don't know about you, but that strikes me a little bit differently than hallowed be your name. May your name be recognized as holy. While we're defining our terms, I will go ahead and give you a little breakdown here. 
Holy, the biblical concept of holy, one of my favorite scholars, Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, says that the Hebrew concept for holy comes from this idea that Yahweh, God of the Bible, is utterly unique, especially and primarily in his ability to create life. So Yahweh is the only source of all life. And the way that the Hebrews describe this characteristic of God is holy. He also explains that, and we kind of know this, the name has a special significance in Hebrew culture. And I would argue, actually in most cultures, it's kind of associated with your character and your reputation. Even in English, we have a saying, I'm going to clear my name. And we understand when you say that, you're not talking about your actual name, you're talking about your reputation. So we know that when we say, I'm going to clear my name, it is associated with the character and the reputation of the person. So what we're really saying when we say, hallowed be your name, and when we say, may your name be recognized as holy, we're saying, God, may you, God, Yahweh, Jesus of Nazareth, be recognized as good, as right, as life. That's a little bit daunting, maybe, because the world hates God. And it feels like almost a little bit more every day. And if we're honest, maybe the church holds some of the blame for that. And I think it's significant why scripture says, be holy as I am holy, that we represent God to the world. But also, it starts with us. And so this was probably the most significant thing for me as I was studying this. The way that I like to pray this part of the prayer is may your name be recognized as holy in my heart first. In my heart. Because remember, this prayer is transformational. So we have an opportunity for reflection to really ask ourselves, do I recognize Yahweh as holy? Do I recognize him as life? Because if we're honest, sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we question the goodness of God. And this isn't to bring shame or condemnation. If that's you this morning and you're in that place, you are not alone. Everyone in this room has probably been there at some point. There are other people in this room who probably are there right now. There are people who wrote the pages of this book who were in that place. You can read it in the Psalms, in the book of Job, in Ecclesiastes. But what's transformational about this prayer and what's beautiful about it is the way that it's worded, right? May your name be recognized as holy. It is also a request because another theme of this prayer that we're going to see throughout is our complete dependence upon God. Remember, it's less about what we're doing. It's more about just being present and bringing our awareness to what God is doing and what he wants to do in us. So we can come imperfect and authentic and say, God, I need you to help me to recognize your name as holy in my heart first. 
then in my family, in my church, in my community, in the world. But it starts with us. It's transformational. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is another one that maybe we don't have a full concept of as Americans because we haven't lived in a kingdom in a really long time. <laughs> I don't think any of us remember that time. We can, scholars will explain that the concept of kingdom, the way that the word is used here, is the rule and the reign. Another way I like to put it is kind of like the culture because what it's really talking about is what it's like to live, what the way of life is under that rule and reign. So in part, this is really beautiful because if you're following the prayer as Jesus laid it out, we've already acknowledged, we've already aligned our heart with the kingdom truth that Yahweh's character and his reputation is life. So now we can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And recognize it is good. His kingdom is the way of life. So we can desire that. We can submit. The way that I like to say it is, may your way become our way. Your way of life. Your way of doing things. Your way of defining grace and love and mercy your concept of equality, your concept of humanity. Let your way become our way. And the beautiful thing is, again, we come to God authentically because even our big brother Jesus, whose clothes we're trying on, he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. In Jesus' prayer, he acknowledged that his will was not in line with God's will. He acknowledged that his desire, he did not desire what God was willing. But what he did do was he submitted anyway to God's will because he acknowledged your way is life. So we have freedom here to be honest Maybe we like being in control. We think our way is great. But we have the opportunity for obedience. Even if we're not feeling it, we still have the opportunity for obedience. To me, that is so freeing. Regardless of what we're feeling, because we can't change how we feel, but we can submit, and we can be obedient, and we can do what Jesus did and say, not my will, but your will. And hopefully, over time, that transformation, which is done by the Spirit, not by us, will take place over time, and our desires will begin to align with His. But in the meantime, we have that option. We can still pray this prayer authentically. On earth as it is in heaven. So I wanted to give you this really cool image to kind of help with this concept, because heaven and earth is a repeated thing throughout the Bible, and it can be a little different for us to understand. We think maybe of heaven and earth as opposites. Um, this is from the Bible Project. Um, most scholars will define it. The most simple definition you can give is heaven, the concept of heaven in Scripture. It's not where you go when you die, and it's not like a kingdom of clouds. It is God's space. 
the kingdom of heaven, right? The way the word heaven is used, it is God's space. It's where God resides, our Father in heaven. And earth is our space. What a mess we've made of that, am I right? Okay. But here's the beautiful part about that is that heaven and earth can overlap because they're, two, they're not two different physical places. Heaven is a spiritual place. Earth is a physical place. And Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says that Eden is a picture of perfect unity between heaven and earth. But the fall created a rift between the two. The most beautiful thing about this, and I absolutely love the, this, Tim Mackey says that prayer acts as a bridge between the two. So that when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we are inviting God's space into our space. So the next time that you're struggling in your space and you feel like your experience on earth is what we would call like hell on earth. It's just awful. It's horrible. It's the fall. It's destruction. It's sin. It's temptation. It's terrible. You have the ability to invite heaven, to invite God's space into your space using prayer as a bridge. It's transformational. The union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, the whole thing, when you get to the end of the book, in Revelation, it talks about the union, the reunion of heaven and earth. It's coming, but in the meantime, we have that bridge. It's a beautiful gift. It's an invitation for us to partner with God in bringing heaven. Okay. We're going to talk about the daily bread. Here we go. Give us this day our daily bread. So this is really beautiful. And I'm going to suggest here, perhaps contrary to popular opinion, I don't think this is intended to be like a wish list. Okay. Again, totally not throwing shade on praying for your practical needs, especially if you're feeling really weighed down by them. And that helps you to just kind of give your burdens to Christ. Name those things. Absolutely do that. But this part of the prayer, it's not just about listing off things that we need. Okay, it's not about us defining what daily bread means. This is really significant, actually. And it's written in metaphoric language, but it's, there's a clue here in a Jewish context, which is where Jesus was when he said this. The daily bread would bring to mind the manna from the wilderness, right? The bread that showed up every day the bread from heaven, and the daily bread and the manna has this symbolism of dependence. Because the Israelites were in the wilderness, they had no food, they had no money, they had no way to get food, and they were completely dependent upon God to feed them every day. And this is actually really beautiful because it levels the playing field where we stand. If we pray, give us this day our daily bread right now, every person in this room from the richest person to the poorest person is on the same footing because we all are completely dependent upon God to provide for our needs. We actually aren't, and we know this, but 
Do we really live in a way that says we're not dependent upon our employer or our bank account or our assets? Those things can be gone in a second. It's happened before, even in this country. Do not put your hope in those things. Our Father is the one who provides for us. Everything you have is not because you earned it. It's because he gave it to you. This is a mindset shift. It's transformational. This entire prayer is about aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God. It's like when you're driving your car and your alignment gets off, then your car is not really going straight. It's kind of going off a little bit. And you have to go and get it realigned. I don't really know how that works because I'm not a car person, but that's my uh, dumbed-down version of how it works. But that's what we're doing. Basically, if, if we just are in the world and in our culture, which is completely contrary to the kingdom of God, we get off, and, and then we're just totally veering off the path. So we have to come, and this prayer is a tool to help us to come and realign ourselves with the kingdom values. Give us this day our daily bread. We are dependent upon you, God. Everything I have is from you. Everything I will have is from you. But here's the other piece of this, and I don't want us to miss this. He says, not give us this day my daily bread, but give us this day our daily bread. Actually, the whole prayer is using plural language. Jesus is instituting a concept of community, but specifically in this phrase, it really packs a punch, you guys. Because think about it. If we each prayed, give us this day my daily bread, and God gave you your bread, and you were good, and we're all good. But then we're not a family. We're not a community. The kingdom of God is about us being a community. So when we pray, give us this day, our daily bread, that means that we're recognizing the bread that God gives us is not just for us. It's for the kingdom. It's for us. That means that God could literally give me something that's intended to fill a need in your life. And he wants me to give it to you. He's inviting us to partner with him in his work of providing. Isn't that beautiful? It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. The way I like to pray this prayer, this part of the prayer, is what's mine is ours. We recognize that what's mine is only mine because God gave it to me. And it's not really mine. It's ours. And we can practice that and we give to the church and we give to the Alabaster Fund right now. And we give to World Evangelism Fund. And those things are awesome. We should keep doing that. That's part of this. But it's also right here in our own backyard. There are needs in this room that we can meet. I know that this is what Jesus intended, and I know that this is how the disciples interpreted what Jesus was teaching them, because when they started the church, the New Testament church in the book of Acts, go read chapter 2. That's exactly what they did. It says that they pulled all of their resources, and every need was met. And what blows my mind about that, and it's a little bit convicting, is that they probably had a lot more needs 
and a lot less resources than we do. Now, I am not saying that we should start a commune or that we should put all of our money in one bank account. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you're shifting our mindset and the way that we think about our possessions. Everything that we have came from God, and it is given to us, but not just for us, but for the kingdom. And we're invited to participate in God's work of providing for needs. So on the one side, I will say, and this is really hard, and I've, I've been here and I am here all the time, so I get it. If you're on the receiving end, here's what I would encourage you to do. Whenever someone is trying to be generous, right? Someone wants to buy you a coffee or pay for your lunch or someone tries to give you a gift, we tend to get embarrassed. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm good. Don't do that. Don't do that. I know it's hard because of the society that we live in says that we need to provide for ourselves. But we need to humble ourselves and graciously receive the generosity of our brothers and our sisters. Because what we're really saying, if we say, no, I'm good, we're saying, I'm not a part of your family. I will take care of myself. And that is not the kingdom way. What's mine is ours. And God chooses often to provide for our needs for using our brothers and our sisters. There are so many times when I've prayed a specific prayer for a practical need, and the way that God provided it was somebody else giving it to me. I would have preferred him to like make it possible for me to earn it somehow, or like, you know, get a bonus at work or something. But sometimes that's not how it is. This is what it looks like to live in a community. On the other side of that, how do we provide for needs that we don't know about? So I would encourage you, when you're doing life together in life groups or just one-on-one -on -one, or families hanging out, that you are fostering the kind of authenticity where people feel comfortable sharing their practical needs. Because honestly, it's very unlikely that we're going to do that with a stranger. So we should have the kind of relationship where people feel comfortable sharing their practical needs so that we can participate in God's work of meeting those needs. The other side of that is, and, and I don't want us to miss this because this is important, is just relying on the Holy Spirit and being sensitive to his leading. Because the Holy Spirit might prompt you, hey, give $20 to that guy. And I think we might think, where did that come from? That is so weird. Was that just me? Was that the pizza I ate last night? Like, whoa. But let me just propose to you, what's the worst that could happen? If you're wrong and it was just you, you have an opportunity to be generous and encourage somebody. But the alternative is that it was the Spirit of God, and that person had a real felt need, and you missed the opportunity to partner with God in providing for that need, and they're going to have to wait a little longer. So I would encourage you to just practice listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Maybe he wants you to give. 
And it's a lot easier with my analogy of $20 and maybe a little harder if the Holy Spirit's telling you something a little bigger. You know what I mean? But it's baby steps. Let's just practice that. We're trying on our big brother's clothes. And the way that Jesus taught us to think about money and the way that Jesus taught us to think about our daily bread, what's mine is ours. Okay. That was like a whole sermon. All right. Forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It seems pretty straightforward, but I think there's a couple of really interesting things here because of the order in which Jesus says this. The first part is that forgiveness is intended to overflow. So if you're struggling to forgive a brother and a sister, and we've all been there, maybe go back to square one and pray, forgive us our debts. Because if we haven't received God's forgiveness, if we haven't really accepted it, if we haven't really recognized God's forgiveness, how wonderful it is, because when we do, we cannot help but give it away. To anyone and everyone, it is such a wonderful, amazing, undeserved thing that you will want to share it with everybody. But the other side of this, and I love that this metaphor of the debts, right? Some translations say transgressions. But I love this metaphor of the debts because, first of all, you start by acknowledging. So I would encourage you, even if you don't have a specific sin in mind when you're praying this prayer, don't skip this part. Pray this part of the prayer anyways because this is aligning ourselves with the gospel. We're remembering, I am also a debtor. I'm not a perfect person. I've made mistakes. I've hurt people. It is a lot easier for us to forgive when we recognize that. It's a lot easier for us to forgive someone who's hurt us. So Jesus shows us the way. And the last piece of this is forgiving our debtors. And I love how practical this is, because think about a debt. If I owed you money and you forgave my debt, that means that you waived your right. You had a right, but you waived your right to collect that debt. And you also give up your right to hold it over my head that I never paid you back. So what Jesus is telling us, right, again, going back to our feelings, sometimes... Forgiveness is always hard. Not sometimes, always. Forgiveness is hard. And we might not feel all the feelings. We might not feel warm, fuzzy feelings. But we have an opportunity for obedience. It's transformational, you guys. Because all we have to do to forgive, Jesus is telling us, this is how I like to say it, I give up my right to restitution, to hold a grudge. I might still be hurt, I might still not trust that person, but I give up my right to hold it over their head, to want revenge. I'm no longer keeping a record. That's forgiveness in the simplest sense. It's so accessible. Anyone can do it. It's transformational. Oops. I went too far. Well, spoiler alert. Okay. <laughs> Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
So you may notice in the slides here, I'm using the NIV translation of the verses, which is a little bit more like comfortable talking language. Earlier, we read the NRSV, which is a more literal translation. So we said, do not bring us to the time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, another way of saying that is the time of testing. So this is the part of the prayer that was most daunting to me when I was preparing this sermon and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know if, how am I going to preach that? What a weird thing to say. But it's actually been one of the most beautiful. And it comes in a big part to framing that perspective, how you're approaching the prayer. Because again, if we're approaching the prayer as having our needs met, and so we're viewing the prayer as us just asking things of God, this is really weird. I even heard someone say, is God in the habit of leading us into temptation if we don't ask him not to? It's weird, right? But if you think about the prayer as transformational, the purpose is transformational, then we're looking at what are we learning praying this? What are we reminding ourselves? How, what kingdom value are we aligning ourselves to? And so the first thing is we are acknowledging the presence of evil. And some of us might think, I don't think I need to do that. Well, you do. 1 Peter 5, chapter 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around. Oh, prowls. <laughs> like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is there and he is out to get you. Be alert. Be of sober mind. The way I like to think about this is that our world and our culture is like a minefield. It's a minefield for sin and testing and trial and hurt and just all the bad things from the fall. It's a minefield. And if you would you walk out into a minefield just like, doo-doo-doo, I'm walking? No, that's insane. You would not do that. Be alert. Be of sober mind. It is dangerous. There is evil out there. It's important. But also, and this piece back to that theme of dependence, because everything is dependent on him. Our transformation, our ability to align ourselves with these values, our provision, our ability to forgive, it comes from him. But it says here, lead us not into temptation, or do not bring us to the time of trial. But I love that image because if you're going out into a minefield and there's someone who knows the path, you're going to want to follow that person and you're going to want to imitate their footsteps exactly. So we are acknowledging by praying this prayer, God, the world is a minefield for evil. And if I am not being led by you, it is hopeless. It's hopeless. It also reminds us that we need to yield to the leading of the Spirit. Because there's a lot on the line if we don't. But we're also dependent. If we do get caught in a trap, we are completely dependent on Him to deliver us. 
Because honestly, we think that we're good people and we've been doing this for a while and we've learned some things and that's awesome, but we need to be reminded that friends, when it comes to sin and testing and temptation and trial, we are hopeless without him. We need him every hour. So this prayer is just reminding us of our dependence upon him, reminding us to follow his lead. This is really significant because Jesus ends the prayer really abruptly. So for one thing, if you go out into the world after praying the Lord's Prayer, the words that are echoing in your mind are, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But there's also a technique, it's a literary technique, and it's a technique in just communication called the bookend. And what it is, is that the concept is that the first thing and the last thing that is said are the things that you're most going to remember. So you put the most important things as your bookends, the first thing and the last thing. Jesus opens his prayer with Gospel 101, who God is and what that says about you. But the other end of the prayer is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that we can go out into the world and we can actually be transformed, that we can live like kingdom people. But we cannot do that unless we are following his footsteps exactly. We need to be reminded of that. So what do we do? This is the easiest application I would ever have to do ever because Jesus gave it away in the first line of the prayer. Pray then in this way, he says. So my challenge to you is to pray this every day. You don't have to commit for your whole life. Maybe try it for a set amount of time, a week, a month, whatever you want. You can be creative. You can recite the prayer and meditate on each section. You can paraphrase it in your own words. There's seven sections. You can pray one a day for a week. You can pray through the prayer throughout the day at the different sections. It's your prayer. But what I would just challenge you to do is maybe just to consider praying this every day for a time and just see what happens. It's meant to be transformational. It's meant to help us to live the kingdom way. This prayer was designed to be a daily rhythm, to orient ourselves in humility, remind ourselves of who God is and the values of his kingdom movement because we need to be reminded. Every day, we need to be reminded who God is, who we are because of who he is. We need to be reminded that he is life, that he can be trusted, that he's faithful. We need to be reminded that we have access to God's space. That he provides for all of our needs. That's what's mine is ours. That we have received an undeserved forgiveness so that we could forgive others. And that there is evil in the world. There is temptation at every turn. And we need him leading us. 
So to help you with this, I have a gift. This is my gift to you. There are these bookmarks. They're going to pass out for you. This, these bookmarks are the Lord's Prayer. The bolded part is the Lord's Prayer, as it was on the slides. And then underneath is just my notes, like what we've been talking about, the transformational aspect of each piece of the prayer. So I hope that this helps you. It can just serve as a reminder. I don't expect you to remember everything we talked about. That was a lot. You can use it as a visual reminder, a prompt. Put it in your Bible, your wallet, your purse, your pocket, whatever. They're a little small. So those of us who don't have great eyesight might need some really good lighting and like put it really close to your face. But I just wanted to offer to you, if there's someone here that eyesight is a real problem and the text is a little too small, I, when I designed them on the computer, it was bigger, um, that we can print bigger versions of it for you. I just need to know how many we need to make. So just let me know or let the church office know that you want to request a bigger version. I really want you to be able to use these if you want to, if you think that this would be helpful for you. So please let me know if you need that. And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to sing today. I, I know we normally sing at the end, but my throat is shot, you guys. <laughs> we are going to pray. It's so appropriate. I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to invite Kevin to come and play for us. He's going to play some beautiful music, and we're just going to pray. And I'm going to put the Lord's Prayer up on the screen just as a guide to help us. And what I want to encourage you to do is to just put this into practice. Pray this prayer. Think about it as transformational. Maybe there's a specific part of the prayer that the Spirit really emphasized for you today. Pray that. You can do any of the things I said earlier. Pray it exactly, recite it, and just meditate on the, the things that we talked about today. I would encourage you anytime you pray the Lord's Prayer to pause after each phrase and think about the transformational aspects of that portion of the prayer. You can pray it in your own words. You can do anything you want. The altars are open. You can pray at your seat. Can we turn the lights down a little bit? I just want you to have this moment, you and God, to pray, and then I'll come back and dismiss us with a benediction. But I, I just want us to take this opportunity to try on our big brother's clothes, to pray this prayer. Our Father, who is revealed to us, who has made it possible for relationship with us, who has given us the dignity and the privilege of calling you Father, but who is also beyond our comprehension, vast and beautiful and amazing. We are in awe of who you are. May your name be recognized as holy. In our hearts, God, in this place, may we recognize that you are the source of life. You are good and you are right. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Let your way become our way. On earth, in our space, just as it is in heaven, your space. 
Invade our space, God. We acknowledge that everything we have came from you. Give us each day our daily bread. Help us to remember that it's not just for us. It's for the kingdom. What's mine is ours. And I will share. Show me, God, the needs that can be met by the bread that you have provided. Forgive us our debts. We are imperfect people. We were debtors too. We receive your forgiveness. We reject the lies of the enemy, the voice of shame and condemnation. You have forgiven us. Help us to receive it. And we have forgiven our debtors, God. We give up our right for restitution, for revenge, to hold a grudge. Help us to heal, but God, we choose to submit to your way, the way of life, and forgive. We let it go. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, we need you. We cannot be kingdom people unless we are being led by you. Show us the way. Amen. Continue to pray. I'll give you a few minutes. would encourage you to continue to pray this prayer. I hope that this helps you to internalize it, to think about it differently so that we can begin to fill out our big brother's clothes, to begin to really look and live like him. This benediction, you may have recognized, some of you, was missing from our passage in Matthew. It doesn't show up in a lot of the original texts that we have, or we don't have the originals, but the oldest ones that we have, which means that it was probably added later. And that's why it's not in there in some translations anymore. It's still really good and beautiful. Editors and copyists probably added it to make the prayer a little bit more liturgical. It is beautiful. It summarizes the prayer. If you like to pray it at the end of the prayer, by all means, do so. It ties it up in a pretty bow. Um, I think Jesus intentionally ended the prayer abruptly, like I said earlier. He also does an interesting thing where in the next couple verses, he starts talking about forgiveness again. And you're like, oh, is that we already talked about that? And I think that's his way of letting us know that that forgiveness piece is really essential. It's really needed that 
if you haven't fully aligned yourself in that peace, you need to stay there because that next aspect, lead us not into temptation, it's going to be a lot less effective if we haven't received God's forgiveness and forgiven others. Because unforgiveness and condemnation are some of the biggest testings and temptations out there. But I do want to use this benediction. It is based on a benediction from the Old Testament. It is beautiful. We know it. We can say it together. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. Go in peace. You are dismissed.